Now let's open our Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. May God bless the reading from His Holy Word. Please be seated. Now, we continue with our series about the atonement, and this is part four. The atonement is the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. The atonement is an allusion to the sacrifice in the Old Testament. If you remember, there is that day of atonement. To atone means to amend, to make amends. It, it means to make peace, to reconcile. It means to propitiate, to expiate, and all other words connected. Now, the reason for our series is that we want to understand what exactly Jesus did on the cross. He wasn't just hanging there, part of the criminals, as part of the execution of the Roman authorities. But the Bible, God, has a different vantage point. From the way the public would see Jesus, He was hanging there to prove that the Romans are cruel to anyone who will disobey them. And though He wasn't a criminal, though Jesus was innocent of all the accusations, that death of Christ on the cross was man-made. But then, there is a God side to that. There is a biblical side, and that is what we have been learning. Alright? Now, today, we are going to talk about the third vantage point of Christ's death on the cross. Propitiation. Honestly, how many of us here know this word. If you're familiar with this word, just raise your hand. If you are not, do not raise your hand, all right? So, only those who are familiar with the word. pastor familiar or not familiar? <laughs> all right. So, I, I know this is one of those words, theological words that would make us nosebleed. <laughs> but these are in the Bible, all right? This is one vantage point of the atonement of Christ. Now, just to recap, we studied about the first one was redemption. How do we look at the death of Christ on the cross? How does the Bible describe the death of Christ on the cross? It was redemption. He, he died to redeem us. So the idea there is that we somehow became slaves and we have to be ransomed, and Jesus' death was a ransom for us. That's why we call him a redeemer. And then last Sunday, we talked about the atonement as reconciliation to reconcile us. Jesus died on the cross to reconcile us because something happened. We sinned, and our fellowship and relationship with God was destroyed. 
And we are at war with God. And so the death of Jesus Christ made us friends again. And more than friends, we became children of God through the death of Christ. But what is propitiation? How did Christ's atonement save us from the consequences of sin? Now remember, one of the consequences of sin is that those who sinned, according to Jesus, became a slave to sin. That is why if you're committing one sin, that sin becomes part of your life. It becomes a lifestyle and you think it's normal. You're doing it even if you know it's wrong. But the Bible says, Jesus said, if you sin, you become a slave to sin. And the only way for that bondage to sin to be broken is through the death of Christ. When you believe the finished work of Jesus Christ, Christ's death redeemed us from the bondage of sin. That is why we say only when a person repents and comes to a saving relationship with Jesus can you be set free from any bondages, whether it is drugs, immoral relationships, vices, whatever it is, only the blood of Jesus can set you free. No amount of human psychology can release you because that bondage is not physical by nature. It is spiritual. There is the forces of the devil in force in every form of slavery. And then the second result of sin is that we, separate, we are separated by God from God but then Christ's death, we said last week, reconciled us to God. But here's the third, and this is the worst. Worse than being enslaved to Satan, worse than being away from God, is to carry the burden of his wrath. That's our lesson today. That a person who is still not born again, a person who is not yet a believer, a follower of Christ, you carry with you every day the burden of God's wrath until the day in which His wrath will be poured out on you when you go to hell. See, that's the reality. But the good news is that Christ's death, and take note of this word, propitiated God's wrath. So we are going to learn propitiation. It's an important doctrine in the church. And I know we don't want hard words, but these are important words because this has something to do with understanding the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, once again, I will return to the animation that I made. I said I did this for seven hours, but just tweak a little, so only 30 minutes for me to do some tweaking, all right? So this is the story of man and God. When God created us, He created us to be perfect, to have fellowship with Him. But what happened? Because of sin, that relationship was broken. There is now enmity, hostility, and we bear the penalty. And notice God. God is angry with sin and sinners. It's not biblical to say, we, we always say this, you know, God hates the sin but loves the sinner. You don't find that in the Bible. <laughs> yes, the Bible says God so loved the world, but not sinners, all right? God hates sin and anything connected with sin, 
Alright? Now, what happened? Because of the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, that sin was removed, the barrier was removed, the hostility was removed, the penalty was paid. And so what happened? The anger of God has been satisfied. That is why death, the death of Christ on the cross propitiated the anger of God. The nails on those hands and feet, the thorn, the cross, the bleeding, they were all expressions of anger and wrath of God. That's why the song says, it should have been you, it should have been me, but He took it. That's propitiation, satisfying the wrath of God. Now, why is this doctrine so important? Why do we have to study this doctrine? Because so many liberal Christians today I think all of them deny this doctrine. So many liberal churches in America, in Europe, are abandoning this doctrine of propitiation. You know why? They say, God is love. See? If God is love, why, why talk about an angry God? I don't believe in a God who is angry. Yes, you don't want an angry God because of your life. That's, that's the thing. If we are living in sin, we don't want an angry God. We just want a God who tolerates our sin. We just want a God who always understands our faults. In other words, a lot of people today just want to make a God for their own. They, don't want, they want to deny the God in the Bible because the God in the Bible confronts the truth that we are in sinners and that the Bible says, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And that is why they don't want to know the truth, because they don't want to be freed from all sorts of slavery and bondage in their life. They're enjoying their life of sin. But friends, whether people accept it or not, it is taught in the Bible. It is taught by our Lord Jesus Christ. No other person in the Bible speaks more about hell than our Lord Jesus Christ. It was Jesus Christ. A lot of people, but Jesus doesn't teach hell. Jesus doesn't teach about, about suffering, about the wrath of God. Oh, just read the gospel and you will find there that those who disobey and those who reject Him will suffer eternal punishment. But those who love God, who believe in God, they will enjoy eternal life. So if there is eternal life, there is eternal punishment. That's why this doctrine is important because Satan is teaching a false gospel in the world today. And I don't want you to believe that false gospel. What is that false gospel? That false gospel is that I'm just okay because my God will understand my life. I'll just go on with my lifestyle because anyway, God will understand. At the end of the day, love wins. That's not the gospel. What we are about to hear is the gospel truth. All right? So let us going to learn the five aspects of propitiation. You have your sermon notes with you. Five aspects of propitiation. How do we understand? The first one, the meaning. This is the most important thing. What is propitiation? Friends, 
I know this is difficult because we don't use the word propitiation in our ordinary lives, right? This is not as common as love, mercy, grace, forgiveness. But nonetheless, this is in the Bible. And so because it is in the Word of God, it is important, right? Propitiation, what does it mean? If you have your, if you have your, your, your cell phone there, can you please Google propitiation? To propitiate. What does it mean to propitiate? Usually, Google would tell you to make amends. All right? So, the common understanding of propitiation is that, for example, husband and wife, the husband did something, and so the wife is hurt. And not just hurt, he's angry. He, she becomes historical and hysterical. And then the husband says, Honey, diamond and Chanel bag. And then the anger suddenly is gone. She's propitiated. That's the word. But we don't use the word. That's her anger was propitiated with the offering of the bag, the diamond. See, now you understand propitiation. It's in the Bible. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. I'm using the ESV, English Standard Version. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not just for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. In the Revised Standard Version of the Bible, this is the older version. This is the version in which our lolos and lolas have been using. He is the expiation for our sin. Now, we are already having a hard time with propitiation. And the Revised Standard Version is using another word, expiation for our sin. What is that, Pastor? We don't usually use that word, never. <laughs> All right? Now, in the NIV, of course, this is my generation who belongs to my generation. We are the NIV generation, the, you know, those people in the 80s and 90s. This is the Bible we've been using. He is the atoning sacrifice. So more or less, it's understandable, but still, there's that word, atone. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for us, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, let's try to understand the Greek word, the word used in the original Bible in the Greek. The Greek word is hilasmos. All right? Hilasmos. Hilasba. It means appeasement, satisfaction. I'm, I don't know if you're familiar with to placate, placation, conciliate. In other words, to remove. The idea is to remove, to placate the anger. All right? Appeasement. All right? You offer something so that there's not going to be war anymore. See that? It's like a peace offering. That's hilasmos. All right? Now, the other Greek word, the, the, the verb form of that, hilaskomai, right? To appease, to pacify, to satisfy, to turn away anger, all right? It's not just anger, like, for example, a baby, you know, when you did something to a baby and the baby cries, the baby cries, and then you gave the baby candy and the baby smiles, see? That candy becomes what? The propitiation. See? That's how you understand the word. 
to make amends. It's used in Luke 18.13. Remember, Jesus was saying a parable. There are two men worshiping in the temple, the Pharisee, and then the other one was the, the tax collector. And the tax collector was just beating his breast. And he says, have mercy on me, Lord. That word, have mercy, is hilaskomai. All right? And then there is that another word, hilasterion. These are all derivatives of the same word. It is the sacrifice that turns away the wrath of God, according to Romans 3.25. And, and Martin Luther, when he was studying this word, he was also studying the Greek Bible version, the, the Septuagint. You know, the Septuagint is the Greek version of the whole Bible. All right? And this is the Bible, the Septuagint. According to history, this is the Bible that was available during the time of Christ. So when the apostles, when Christ were reading, they were actually reading the Septuagint, no? the Greek version, because they were speaking in Greek. And that Greek word, hilasterion, propitiation, is used in the Old Testament. If you remember in Exodus 25, 17 to 22, when God commanded Moses to make the Ark of the Covenant, all right? And that ark, there's a covering there with two cherub or cherubim. That portion above, it's called the mercy seat. The Greek word is kaporeth. Kaporeth from the root word kapar, which means to cover. That word translated in Greek is propitiation. That is propitiation. In other words, once a year, the high priest would, would, would sprinkle the blood on top of the cover, on that mercy seat, once a year. And you know what happens during the Day of Atonement? When, when that cover there is spread with, with the blood of the Lamb, then God will remove His wrath from His people for a year propitiation. See, that's what they celebrate. They usually celebrate, the Jews would celebrate normally the year, you know, the, the, the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, you know, every September. That's, that's their celebration. Every year, it's celebrated that their sins have been covered. God will, will no longer look at them as enemies, as objects of His wrath, why? Because his wrath was poured out on that poor, innocent lamb. And so God's anger towards sinners, they were atoned, propitiated. That's the meaning. Now, if you notice, there are two words used, you know, in the Bible about propitiation or the Greek word hilas, hilasmos. Expiation and propitiation. Pastor, can you please clarify what's... What's the difference? Both these words, even, even scholars argue this word should be used and this word should be used. Now, let's just differentiate expiation. No, the word expiation from the word ek, it means out from, out of. It denotes removing something or wiping away something. So, both expiation and propitiation describes, are you still following me? Both describes what Jesus did on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, something was removed. 
There was the wiping away of sin. So expiation has something to do with us. Our sins have been expiated, removed, wiped out. Propitiations denotes appeasing or pacifying someone. In other words, expiation is manward, impersonal, the covering, the putting away of sin. One expiates a sin or a guilt, while propitiation is personal, Godward, very personal, turning away of anger. One propitiates a person, one expiates a sin. So in other words, both these words describe the atonement. When Jesus died on the cross, my sins were not only covered, they were washed away. They were washed away by the blood of Jesus. And as a result of Jesus expiating my sin, the Father was propitiated. Now you understand. They are the same thing, but different effect. I need expiating. God demands propitiating. All right? So expiation, man's sin and guilt is removed, thus forgiven. Propitiation, God's wrath against the sinner is removed, thus satisfied. Now you understand. Because sometimes it's just say, Jesus died on the cross for me. But do you know exactly what Jesus did? That's how the Bible gives us these words. See? So when Jesus was hanging on the cross, He was taking the wrath of God upon Himself so that you and I can be expiated. Instead of God's anger coming towards me, Jesus took it. So I'm expiated. The Father is propitiated. And the Living Bible, that's why it's important to have several versions of the Bible because no one Bible can give a nuance of the exact meaning of some words. Now, in this particular verse, the Living Bible gives the best interpretation or translation. All right? Look at the Living Bible. He is the one who took God's wrath against our sins. See? It's there. Upon Himself. And brought us into fellowship with God. And He is the forgiveness for our sin. And not only ours, but all the world's. You see there? Expiation and propitiation. He took God's wrath against our sins upon Himself. That's propitiation. But then, He says, brought us into fellowship with God and He's the forgiveness for our sins. That's expiation. That's what Jesus did on the cross, brethren. Romans 3.25, For God sent Christ Jesus to take the punishment for our sins and to end all God's anger against us. See? That's the meaning of propitiation. Jesus Christ satisfying the wrath of God against sin. According to R.C. Sproul, Christ's supreme achievement on the cross is that He placated, that's the word, He placated the wrath of God which would burn against us were we not covered by the sacrifice of Christ. Friends, that's the good news. See? 
That's the good news. That's the good news that is preached by Jesus Christ, that when we trust in Him, we don't have to fear hell. What is hell, brethren? Hell is basically the summation of all the wrath of God against sin. There's hell because there is sin. But the good news is then when you repent of your sin and when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Jesus took that out from you. Amen? Isn't that good news? It was I who committed the sin, but He took the nail for me. It was I who enjoyed the sinning, and it was Him who suffered death. Is that fair? No, but that's grace. Amen? That's the grace of God. That's why we call it amazing grace. I enjoy the sin. He suffered the death. That's why we trust Him. We believe in Him. Now, the must. Now, I don't have to elaborate so much about the must because we now know why it is a must to be propitiated. All right? Again, John says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Friends, what is the ideal thing if you become a born-again believer? What is the will of God? Here's the will of God, that you may not sin. See? I wasn't saved so that I can enjoy sin. No. Jesus saved me so that I can live apart from sin. See? That's what the Apostle John said. I am writing these things to you. In other words, the Bible, the whole Bible was written so that you may not sin. But we know it's impossible that we don't sin, right? Right? Can, can you live without sinning each day? I don't know with you. I can't. <laughs> See? But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. See? There's the reason, brethren. The reason why it is necessary for us to be propitiated because of sin. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Brethren, the Bible declares, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the necessity. Why it's necessary that Jesus should die on the cross? He should shed His blood because of sin. And What's wrong with sin, Pastor? I mean, what's wrong with sin? I mean, anyone, everybody sins. See, we all do that. So it's normal. Friends, that's usually our philosophy. Simply because so many people are doing it, it's normal. Simply because everyone's doing it, it's acceptable. Well, I want you to understand what is God's disposition, what is God's attitude towards sin. Psalm 7:11 God is a just judge God and this is what I said is angry with the wicked every day See think that God loves a sinner and sometimes we think of wicked I'm not wicked Sometimes we think that you know God is only mad at those you know worse sinners those who murder, who rape, who kill, you know? 
I'm not like that, pastor. See, that's the problem. You see? We try to categorize our sin. You don't have to be a murderer for God to be angry at you. In fact, you don't have to do anything to be angry at you, for God to be angry at you. We were born sinners, remember? When, when my parents brought me here in this world, I was already a sinner. I was born with God angry at me already. So let's erase that philosophy that, you know, God is only mad with those, you know, heinous criminals. I'm not like that, Pastor. I go to church. I give my tithes. But then I do some things. I lie. Pero white lie ng Pastor. Sometimes gray. You know? Sometimes my lying is multicolored. But I, I'm a Christian. I go to church. See? I repent of my sin. But then I sin again. See? Sometimes we think and we are fooled. You have to understand, God is holy. See? A single drop of sin against Him is like already an atomic bomb. Because He's holy. So, you don't have to, you don't have to be a criminal, a worse criminal for God to be angry at you. God is angry with all sin. Can you imagine? Pastor, I don't understand. Okay, you don't understand? Just imagine how Adam and Eve were removed from the garden. Did they kill anyone? Did they kill the serpent? They just ate. Can you imagine that? The whole world died, pastor, condemned. Yes. See? You don't understand God. The problem with us is that we don't understand the holiness of God. Sometimes we think, for God to condemn sinners, I have to be the worst sinner. Oh no. Adam and Eve only ate the fruit and forever they were condemned. See that? Because God says, do not eat, and they ate. See? That's just simple. Yes, with us humans. But with God, it's like a rebellion. In fact, that's how the Bible describes sin. When you disobey God, it's like you are declaring rebellion against the one who created the universe. And so don't belittle yourself as if you're, you know, you're not a worse sinner. We are all sinners by birth. Isaiah 39, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, notice this, cruel, with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation, to destroy its sinners from it. See the purpose of God's wrath? To destroy sinners. I'm a sinner. I'm part of that. Are you? See, that's, that's Old Testament. Prophet Isaiah is prophesying that he, he sees in the future, in the distant future, that God is so angry with the world, with all our sins, and that His wrath is coming. All right. John 3.36, this is now New Testament. And by the way, why, why is this so important, brethren? Again, there are these liberal Christians today that say, you know what, if you believe in a God of the wrath, you, know, you belong to the, to the left side of the Bible. <laughs> what is the left side of the Bible? Old Testament, yeah. The Old Testament, the left side of the Bible is, you know, the wrath of God, all this, but I belong to the New Testament. 
I belong to the right side. I, I belong to the right God, not to the left God. The right God is, you know, loving, forgiving. Well, beginning this verse, this is now New Testament. And by the way, just for you to know, this is Jesus. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Praise God. Do you have eternal life? You believe in Jesus, praise God. Whoever believes in the Son. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life. Why? And here's what Jesus said. For God's wrath remains on Him. Anyone. Friends, this is so serious. Think of this. Any person in the world, listen, any person in the world who does not believe and who does not receive Jesus as his Lord, the Bible says that person will not see life. Why? Because God's wrath, take note of the word, remains on him. That's what I said before. Every baby born is born with the wrath of God on that person. And the only way for that wrath to be removed is when that baby, somehow when that baby grow and believes in Jesus Christ and turn away from his sinful life, then that baby, that man, will be released from the wrath. That's propitiation. Question, have you been released from that wrath? Or are you still carrying that wrath of God upon your head. Romans 1.18, New Testament. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who by their unrighteousness, and this is what's going on in the world, suppress the truth. You see that? There's a denial of the truth. There's more and more people claiming Christians denying the truth in the Bible. You know why? Because the truth in the Bible is against their lifestyle. It's against their philosophical living. And that's why they say, I don't believe this. And yet, they believe that God is love. It's in the Bible. So, a lot of Christians now are selective in what they want to believe in the Bible. They only want to believe those that goes with their lifestyle. See? Pero kung against gani, dili na tinood. See? So there are people now who are really making their own form of God. Romans 2.5 But because of your hard and impenitent heart, impenitent means unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And that is coming, brethren. Just look at the world today. Calamities happening, pandemics happening, and what the book of Revelation is telling us is already being unleashed before our eyes. History in the making. And yet a lot of people still live in sin, not coming to Christ for salvation. Colossians 3, 5, and 6, put to death therefore. See what does the Bible says? Put to death. In other words, end it. Whatever belongs to your earthly nature. What is that? Sexual immorality. What is sexual immorality, Pastor? Well, any form of sex that is not normal, that is not moral. The only moral sex is when you are having sex with your spouse. 
So any sexual union outside the person that you're married to is immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. And notice what Paul says, because of these, notice the word, the wrath of God is coming. And just like what happened in the Old Testament, see, when Noah was preaching, repent, people were just partying and, and laughing and, you know, making smile of him. Ah, that's, that's crazy. Until the flood came and destroyed, destroyed the rest of the world. And that's the same thing happening today. A lot of people just laughing at the message of God disbelieving until you will wake up one day that you're in hell. See? And friends, in the book of Revelation, I don't have to say everything here. Revelations 15 and 16, you read this for yourselves. What do you have there? The seven bowls of God's wrath. <laughs> What's my point? My point is that the wrath of God is real. <laughs> My point is that the, God, the wrath of God is coming. In fact, that's the very reason why Jesus came here on earth, so that we can be saved from that wrath. See? So we cannot say that God is not a wrathful God. There is no wrath when God is love. Oh, no. Because God is love, there is wrath. The same thing with you. Because you love your family, you want the judicial system of the Philippines to work. Why? Because when someone rapes your daughter and kills your son, you want that criminal to be penalized. Can you imagine if the, the, the judge would just say, but I'm a loving judge. I'm a forgiving judge. Pastor Mac, I will just forgive. Is that justice? No. Justice is when criminals should be behind bars. That's our God. For God to be loving, He has to punish evil. Not punishing evil is not being loving. Yeah, you get that? For God to be truly loving, He has to destroy and punish anything that would destroy His love. That's why it's a must. Now let's go to the third. Are you still with me? The means of propitiation. This answers the question, yes, I need to be propitiated, but how? What must I do, pastor? Notice again, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if, you, if anyone does sin, and that refers to all of us, including me, Here's the good news. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. I want you to focus on that word advocate. He is our advocate. Para, we, we've gone to that word already. Parakletos. Para means beside. All right? It's literally an attorney. We have lawyers here, by the way. Praise God for lawyers, Christian lawyers. Now, there was a joke. Uh, there was this, there was this man in heaven nga nakaaway siya og tao nga nasa hell. Okay? And then, ingon, ingon, ingon tong man nga nasa heaven. Okay, let's, we cannot settle this difference 
Let's bring this to the court. And the person in, in hell, hi, he just laughs. Ingon siya, then where will you get attorney? Do you have attorney there? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Praise God that there are Christian lawyers. <laughs> All right. Jesus is the lawyer. That's the word advocate. That's why we have that in the vernacular, avogado. Diba? It, it comes from that word, advocate. Someone who is beside you. Someone who is helping you. Friends, that's the means to our propitiation. The Bible says, He is the propitiation. That the Bible doesn't say He propitiates, but He is the one. See? He is not the one that will appease the Father. He is the one that makes appeasing. He, he is the appeasement Himself. See? That's the difference. Because in the Old Testament, the high priest would bring the blood of the Lamb. The Lamb is the propitiation. But in the New Testament, we are far better brethren. Praise God. Why? Because our high priest and our propitiation is just one person. Amen? He is not just bringing the offering. He himself is the offering. That's why the Bible says, He is the propitiation for our sins. There is no other way can a person. That is why if you truly understand this doctrine, this makes Christianity and Christ an exclusive way to heaven. Because there is no other way. How can their sins be propitiated if they don't believe in the Jesus Christ who is the propitiation? See the point? Pastor, isn't that too much? I don't know with you, but the Bible, the Bible that I read says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then you come with the words, but what about those in the mountains? What about the Hindus, the Muslims? Yes, God cares for them and God wants them to be saved. That's why you and I need to go to these mountains and save them. See, a lot of us are are just for the theological debate. That's why Jesus says, go and make disciples. Because if you don't go, these people will suffer in hell. Unless they know the one who propitiates for them. See? Now the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified by His grace. It's by grace. As a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Brethren, Jesus is the means. Alright? He is the propitiation. And He is there. Where is Jesus Christ right now, brethren? He's in heaven. He's our advocate with the Father. Let, us, let me just give you a, a very quick caricature. This is what's happening in heaven every day. Alright? Let's just say that man there. Alright? That is, okay, kinsama na siya, si, okay, nikatawa maka si Kuya Norman na. Alright, let's just say that's Norman. Alright, Kuya Norman. Okay, and every time Kuya Norman sins, because that's what John says, you know, I'm writing this to you so that you don't sin, pero di man yun mahimo, makasama si Kuya Norman. So, if, if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father. Now, this is what's happening in the throne, throne room in heaven. You are there, you are represented by Jesus, but then you sin and then Satan comes. Remember, the name Satan means accuser. And he is there to accuse. And he is there telling God, 
you want to save this man niya pag kadakandak na squire katakanta squire but pas kasala man na siya lord kita kasi ang sala lord and you know what that's where the advocate comes our abogado telling the father father i propitiated for that man that's what's happening see even if he sins god would look at the death of Christ. Jesus would simply say, on the basis of what I did on the cross 2,000 years ago, this man asked for forgiveness. Forgive him, Father. See? That ends the story. That's what John is saying. If you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Now, friends, can you imagine if you are not a believer of Jesus and then you're accused who will defend you in heaven? See? Jesus' blood is not applied to you because the application of the blood of Jesus on you and me is on the basis of what? Faith. That's why we have to have faith in Christ so that His finished work in the cross will be effective. Now, if you don't believe and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, who will defend you in the throne room of God in heaven? No one. Will Muhammad defend you? Will Buddha defend you? None of them. Because only Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the grave. That's the good news. See? That's the good news. Alright? Now, let's go to the motive. The motive of propitiation. Look at, let's, let's move on to chapter 4. Same gospel gospel epistle of john and this is love not that we have loved god but that he take note loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins friends the motive of propitiation is the love of god can you imagine this? sometimes it's a paradox sometimes people don't understand it is because of God's love that His anger will be appeased. Yes, it's true. He has to appease His own judgment because He is just. And because He loves us, He provides the way for His anger, for His wrath to be appeased, to be satisfied. And who became the propitiation? Jesus Christ. Friends, that's how much God loves you and me. That the Bible says, He demonstrates His own love for us in this, while we were still sinners. The Bible says, Christ died for us. Amen? Christ died for us. And let me just close with the margin of propitiation. The margin. Now, this is very important, friends. I want you to stay with me for a couple of minutes. Margin means the limit. What is the limit of his, of his propitiation? I want you to look at the last part of the verse. All right? He is the propitiation for our sins. That means he satisfies the wrath of God for our sins. But notice the last part. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, that's very important. He did not only remove the wrath of God against our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Well, it's a common knowledge that we always say 
Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Ang kordero sa Diyos nga nagawagtang sa sala sa kalibutan. We always say that, but did we ever try to understand that? Well, the question is, is the atonement of Christ limited or unlimited? Did Jesus die? Was His atonement for the rest of the world? Kay libog na Did Jesus die for the rest of the world? Mama isulti sa Bible. Now the L, limited or unlimited, is the L. It's, it's the L in the tulip. And by the way, here in Bradford Church, this is what we believe. Total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints. Alright, this is the historic Protestant Reformed faith. Tulip. Now, the question is, for whom did Christ actually die? When Jesus was dying on the cross, was He really saying, Father, this death is for all these people who enjoy their lives sinning and will never believe in me, but still I died for them. Is that what we believe? Because the implication, all right, here's the implication. If Jesus died for every single human being in the world, then there's no hell. <laughs> there's no anger because Jesus already, remember, was the meaning of propitiation? Satisfied. There's no hell. There's no need of hell. Everyone goes to heaven, and that's what the universalism believe. But that's not what we believe. We are not universalists. That's heresy. All right? So it has something to do with understanding the word all. When the Bible says Jesus died for all or for the whole world, there could be two implications of that. All meaning without exception meaning to say every single individual person, or all without distinction, all right? Not every single individual, but referring to groups of individuals. Let's say that's how the writers of the Bible always categorize people in the Bible, Jew and Gentile, all right? Now, the closest parallel of, of 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, is found in John eleven fifty one. See, there's the whole world. Ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, this is, this is theology here. John eleven fifty one. This is Caiaphas. All right? When Jesus was brought to Caiaphas, and Caiaphas made a prophecy. But being high priest that year, he prophesied, listen, that Jesus would die for the nation. What nation is that? The Jews, see? It is common understanding that all the disciples, all the writings, remember even Paul, whenever Paul would visit a city, he would always go to the synagogue. Why? Because Christ's command is always to preach first to the Jews. Jesus' intention is to bring back his lost sheep, the Jews. Alright? So it's always the Jews. But then, notice the verse, and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Now, did, did, did he say that all the world is children of God? No. Not only, in other words, that he would die not only for the nation of Israel, but 
together in one, take note, the children of God who were scattered abroad. So, going back, alright, to Jesus, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Are you part of that sheep? Yes or no? Yes or no? Okay, let's see. Verse 16, I have other sheep not, that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Now, question, asa maka nabilong a sheep? Katong sheep sa verse 11 or the other sheep? The other sheep. Ta. See? Because the first sheep that he's talking about is his own Jewish believers, meaning Peter, the disciples, the believing Jews. See? That's how the writers would write. God came, Jesus came for the nation of Israel, but then not only for the nation of Israel, but for those scattered. So, when you apply that, brethren, all right, did Jesus actually die for the rest of the world? When you say every single human being in the world, no. That's not the truth. Jesus died only to those who believe, who will believe. See, you were slain and by your blood, your ransom people, take note, people for God from every tribe, language and people and nation. You see that? So, it's not the whole world, but when the Bible says, and the world, not only our sin, but the sins of the whole world, He is not using all there as in all without exception, but all without discrimination. Meaning to say, God's children, those who believe, are scattered in all the world. And they are the ones that Jesus would die for. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a what? A ransom for all people. Now we understand. All people doesn't mean every single human being, but all people, regardless whether you are Jew or Gentile or Filipino or because Jesus says he will save from every tribe and tongue and nation. Amen? Now you understand. Jesus did not die for every single human being, but he only died to those who will believe in him. So the atonement of Jesus Christ has an unlimited extent in a sense that it is for all. What's the meaning of all? Jews and Gentiles in all the whole world. But it is limited in a sense that it is particular and definite and effective only to the elect. Those who will believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In other words, that's the meaning of John 3.16. For God so loved the world, but will all the world receive the death, the propitiation of Christ? No. That He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him, take note, will not perish, but will have everlasting life. So only those who believe in Him are actually propitiated. The rest will perish. My question now is that, where are you in that? Are you part of those elect 
You don't have to worry about the anger of God, the wrath of God. Why? Because Jesus took that away for, for the cross. Or are you still about to receive the wrath of God? See? That's where we need to come to Christ. Now, let me leave you with three applications. Knowing this doctrine, Pastor, what should I do now? Knowing this doctrine, what should I do now? The Bible says, these things were written so that you will not sin. So, lesson number one, very simple, don't sin. <laughs> don't sin. Try as much as you can. That's the life of a Christian. We are not sinless, we sin less. Alright? Don't sin. But, now my provision, Pastor, can I just go to the provision? But if anyone does sin, diha ko na bilong, Pastor. Kamo, diha po mo? But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Here's the point. Don't sing when you do sin. Don't sing. In other words, don't be trapped with your sin. When you do sin, don't linger there. Don't, don't sing to the bottom with sin. You know? You swim as much as possible to Christ. That's the point. If you do sin, John is sailing us. You have the, Jesus Christ. He's your advocate. Go to Him. Don't linger in your sin. Go to Jesus and ask forgiveness. Lord, this is wrong. Now, there's a third part, and which is, He is the propitiation for our sins, not just for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. In other words, don't be selfish with Jesus. He's not just our propitiation. Don't be selfish. Don't take Jesus, don't monopolize Him as your only Savior. Now remember the Bible says, He's not just ours, but He's also for what? For the world. Do you still have friends who are living in sin? You know, one day when they die, they go to hell. That's what the Bible says. Don't be selfish with Jesus. We all enjoy life because we have Jesus. You need to share Jesus to someone. Amen? Don't be selfish. Jesus is meant to be shared for the whole world to enjoy, not just for us believers. Share Jesus using the Facebook, using your social media, and even share Jesus to them as you invite them to the walkthrough. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord. Thank you so much, Father, that even though you are so angry with our sin, yet because of your love and mercy, you gave us Jesus Christ. So that with Jesus Christ, as our Lord and our Savior, as our advocate, we don't have to walk alone in this struggle of life because we have Jesus Christ on our side. In Jesus' name, Amen.